Good morning. Scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, and chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Thank you, Benjamin, for helping us this morning with our scripture lesson. And uh, once again, we're so appreciative of our worship band and what they do for us and the blessing they give us in music. So thank you so much for that. Uh, We have such talent in our church. I'm so grateful. As we uh, prepare now to hear God's message and uh, seek its meaning for our lives today, the text we've just heard, I want to ask us to pause for a moment of prayer because this is the work of God's Holy Spirit that speaks to us. So let us be attuned to God's Spirit in this moment. You pray with me. God, as we hear these words of instruction that your son Jesus gave, we now seek its meaning for our life today. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us, that you would open our minds, our hearts, that you would open our souls, that we may receive your word and be shaped by it. I pray that you would, in a humble way, give me the ability to proclaim your word, that all of us together will become closer to you in our relationship, but also transformed in the people you call us to be for living as your followers in this world. So, God, I just offer this moment to you as we offer ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to offer to you two passages of Scripture to begin with as a way of getting into this text we have. And these are two passages that I think kind of summarize what you've just heard read by Ben and and Jesus' teaching. The first of these comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it's... um, this is one of those passages that you probably already have memorized, uh, and if you have not, then today would be a good day to memorize this passage. In fact, I'm going to invite us to say this together, as you see it on the screen. Uh, hear this part, let's say this together. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We'll try that again. We'll do this again. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus actually says this, this verse summarizes all of the teachings and the words of the prophets and the law, and, uh, and it certainly, I think, summarizes what we're going to be talking about this morning. The second scripture I want to put before you comes from Paul's letter from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And again, let's say this all together. Ready? Right up there? Here we go. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only that's useful for building up. As I said, these two passages, I think, kind of summarize, uh, give life to those reading that we have before us today. And so I wanted you to have those in your mind fresh as we begin. Today, we continue in a series that we started a few weeks ago dealing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, Jesus' longest sermon. It's in Matthew's Gospel, and it's, it's one of his most important. It's, it's where he lays out his vision 
for what our lives are supposed to look like as his followers. And every week as we looked at this sermon, we've uh, seen how Jesus has addressed aspects of our human condition that we all struggle with when it comes to following Jesus with our daily lives. The first week, uh, he challenged us to, to live as beatitude people. That means that we were called to live to a different set of values than what the world often calls us to live, what's, what's the norm and popular. The next week, he addressed the struggle that we have with uh, forgiving others or offering forgiveness to others. And then last week, we talked about the struggle that we have with spiritual authenticity. And today, Jesus addresses this struggle that we have using our lips in ways that are not appropriate as his followers. He addresses things like our tendency to say things that are not true, or our tendency to try to protect ourselves by saying things that are not true, or not fulfilling the promises that we make. And then in Matthew 7, he goes on to talk about this tendency we have to be critical of others and to find faults in other people. These are ways that Jesus says we misuse our lips. And so he wants to teach us some things about that. And as we've discovered in this series, you know, a lot of what Jesus has to teach us in this Sermon on the Mount is very difficult. (laughs) And he has some very hard sayings here where he just doesn't cut us any slack at all. And yet at the same time, he bears witness to the true nature of God by offering us grace when we miss the mark. So let's take a closer look at what he's talking to us about today. Uh, Jesus begins this passage in the same way that he begins many of the passages, his teachings within the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you this. This is Jesus's way of saying, you know what the law says and what it teaches. But now I'm going to tell you what it really means to live that out in your daily life. And people in his day, he recognized, you know, they all knew the law from children. They're taught the law from the day they're born all the way up. So they all knew what the law taught and how to follow the letter of the law. But many of them misunderstood what it meant to follow the spirit of the law. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, in the Old Testament days, in the days of Jesus, Uh, People would swear oaths in God's name. They would uh, make promises or they would make vows in God's name or they would uh, swear that something was true in God's name. And we still do that today. I mean, in a court of law, when a witness takes the stand, we ask them, do you swear to tell the whole truth? Nothing but the truth will help you, God. Uh, That's our way of invoking the name of God as a witness that we are telling the truth. And that's basically what was going on uh, during the days of Jesus. But most people in Jesus' day couldn't read or write. And so they couldn't read a contract if it was handed to them. They certainly couldn't write one. And so what people said with their lips was very important. In fact, if you swore an oath, that became a legal contract that you were bound to. So people had to be very careful about what they said with their mouth. In fact, many people in Jesus' day no longer used the name of God to swear by or to make an oath because they were afraid of uh, of, uh, somehow uh, not doing the... uh, banning or uh, making, uh, breaking the third commandment where it says, uh, don't take the Lord your name, God's name in vain. So they're afraid of doing that. And so they would say things like, I swear that this is true by the temple in Jerusalem. Or I, I swear that I will do this thing uh, by the gold on the altar table. Or I swear by the hair on my head that this is true. And remember, these are legally binding contracts when they would make these kind of oaths. And, and as is the case of, of any kind of uh, legal contract, there's always contractual details that you have to pay attention to. 
And so they developed this whole profession of people whose job it was to make sure and try to determine what was actually being said and what was not being said in these oaths that they were giving. And that was the job of the first century lawyers. Now, the lawyers and the uh, scribes, uh, it was their job to try to determine what constituted an authentic vow and what was the oath really saying and, and where were the loopholes in it. I know that's kind of hard to imagine that uh, there were people who actually constructed contracts with a little wiggle room in them uh, for loopholes to get out of it in some way. But, I mean, that's what they did back in the old days, you know. Uh, Actually, in Matthew's chapter uh, 23, verse 16, Jesus addresses this issue with the Pharisees and the lawyers of his day. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the sanctuary is bound by nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the sanctuary is bound by the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that has made the gold sacred? And you say, whoever swears by the altar is bound by nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar is bound by the oath. How blind you are. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and and everything on it. And whoever swears by the sanctuary swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by the one who is seated upon it. So Jesus is pointing out the absurdity uh, and the, the, uh, the fraud that's going on, the injustice, this honesty that's happening here and what they're doing. They're making these promises and they're, they're creating these oaths, but they're constructing their promises and their oaths in such a way it's kind of like crossing your fingers and putting behind your back. You know, you're never intending to follow through with it. And Jesus said, this is not the way we should live. This is not God's will. And it's certainly not how we live as his followers. Why, he asked, do you need to say an oath at all? Your yes should be your yes, and your no should be your no. Quit trying to construct things in a way that you've got this wiggle room where you're saying one thing and then you're going to do something else. Just tell the truth, Jesus says. And, you know, this, this ought to be an easy teaching for us. It ought to be something simple that we could put into practice very easily, and yet we know the truth. We don't often find it easy to tell the truth, do we? Uh, We know that we're supposed to tell the truth, but we struggle with this sometimes. Uh, We have the tendency to tell those little white lies, we call them, (laughs) and sometimes even big whoppers. Uh, And usually we do that to try to get out of trouble or to keep from getting in trouble, or we do it to protect ourselves. And there may be some instances where this is justified, but the danger is this can become habitual for us. We find ourselves constantly telling little white lies that can lead to other things. And... Here's the thing. If you can't be trusted to tell the truth in the smaller things, then what's to keep you from telling the truth when it comes to things that are much more serious? I mean, we live in a society today where fraud, deceit, dishonesty, lying is just commonplace. It's almost accepted as a norm. I'm actually surprised when somebody really tells me the truth. If I go into a restaurant this afternoon and I ask the waitress, um, hey, this, this item on your, is, is this really any good? And she says to me, um, tell you what, I, I suggest you try something else because, you know, that, that's not one of our best items on the menu. I'd be like, wow. <laughs> like, wow, how refreshing is that that somebody's really being honest with me here? Now, she may not keep her job doing that, but, but I'm, I'm refreshed by that. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, you just don't expect people to really be honest with you anymore. Uh, and I think this tendency to not tell the truth begins when we're children. I remember being a kid, uh, I'd um, be headed out the door outside to go play, and my uh, mother would say to me, hey, Ricky, have, have you uh, cleaned your room and made your bed like I asked you to? And I'd say, yeah, Mom, sure, because I wanted to go outside and play. 
Uh, but I had a loose definition of what it meant to clean my room. <laughs> Is it to clean my room was like put everything I could under the covers and cover that up and throw the pillow on that and then go straighten up all the dirty piles of dirty clothes into one pile and then I'm good to go, you know. And I knew that I had not done what my mother really asked me to do, and yet I wanted to go play, so I lied. <laughs> no, I'm the only one that does that. But, uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Even if your parents don't know that you're lying, God knows. And God cares about this. God cares whether we're telling the truth or whether we're um, fulfilling our promises. When you grow up to be a teenager, (laughs) this kind of follows along with us. Uh, You want to go to that person's house that you know your parents don't want you to go to. And so your parents say, where are you going this evening? You say, well, I'm going over to somewhere, so-and-so's house, but you know that you're going to end up at the person's house your parents don't want you to go to. Now, thank goodness we have cell phones now, and we parents can track exactly where you're going. And so uh, that's the good thing. But, uh, you know, even if your parents don't know that you're lying and never discover it, again, God knows. God knows, and God cares about this. And here's the thing. When we start out at an early age, you know, lying about those little things in life, you know, that, that can continue. It gets very hard for us to stop doing that as you grow up. We continue this in adulthood. And we need to know that God is not honored by this. Jesus says that we are to be known as people of integrity. We are to be known uh, as persons of our word. This is very important to God. As I look at our society today, I think this is one of the issues that is literally destroying the fabric of our society. I mean, um, (laughs) the fact that you really can't find anybody who's being honest about anything. I mean, when I watch the news, I don't know who to believe. It's all spun with some political ideology. And when it comes to our government, a democracy cannot exist. It cannot be sustained and survive without the ability to trust that those who are in power are telling us the truth. I have seen many marriages overcome the challenge of adultery within marriage. I have never seen uh, a marriage survive one of the spouses perpetually lying to their mate. A marriage cannot survive without trust. You just have to have it. And I think that's true in all of life. But the challenge is we have become masters of the spin. (laughs) I think it's interesting. We don't call it lying anymore. We call it spin. Uh, That is, we bend the truth. We twist things. uh, We spin it to our advantage. But again, Jesus is saying this is one of the ways that we sin with our lips. When we're dishonest, we don't tell the truth. As David says in Psalm 51, 6, God desires truth in the inward being. Now, of course, there are times when, um, you know, telling the truth uh, is something that I think we can justify not telling the truth. I, mean, when you, I think there's times when that. For instance, if you were living in Nazi Germany at the time when uh, they were, the Jews were being persecuted and you were housing some Jews in your home and the Nazis came knocking on your door and said, hey, do you have any Jews in your house? What would you say? Uh, most of us would you know, tell a lie. We'd say, no, I don't. And there's plenty of instances in the Bible where people told lies in order to protect the innocent. So I don't think Jesus is talking about these kind of things. Um, There are times when we know something is true. And yet to say that to somebody would hurt and devastating. God doesn't expect you to say that to somebody in a hurtful way or an insensitive way. We're supposed to tell the truth, but to do it in love. And I think that takes us to the second passage that's before today in Matthew 7, where he says, do not judge. And here he talks about how in our judging others, we can step outside the bounds of what God intends for us as his followers. 
Now, to be clear, when Jesus says don't judge others, I don't think he's talking about never trying to discern whether somebody is telling the truth or not. And of course, we have to uh, practice discernment. We just have to exercise um, gentleness and, and uh, be careful in the way that we exercise those judgments. Sometimes we can become self-righteous in our judging of others. Uh, we, we start to notice all the things that everybody else is doing wrong. We start to look down our noses at other people. We start to criticize them and look for their faults. And when that happens, we're no longer living as beatitude people. Remember how Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. Now, there are several good reasons why we should avoid judging others as a practice of our lives. And Jesus gives several of these reasons here in our passage in Matthew 7 this morning. The first thing he says, not only do we have this tendency to judge other people, we have the tendency of building ourselves up by tearing others down. I think you're all familiar with this. Psychologists tell us that those who are focused on criticizing and finding the fault of others, that stems from their own insecurity. The more insecure we are about our own identity, the more we feel a need to tear down and find the fault and pick and criticize other people. And you know how this works. A new employee comes into your business, and they're doing a great job. And you got these other employees, and some of them are struggling doing their job. And when these employees that are struggling in their job see this new person come in, and uh, they're doing great, they're getting affirmation for this, then they begin to have insecurity about their own job performance and about their own status of things. And so they start focusing on the faults of that new employee. You hear them saying things like, uh, did you see what he wore to work today? God, he has no fashion at all. Or did you uh, you hear, I think, you know, her children, they have a lot of trouble. I don't think she's a very good parent. And we, we start saying things like this. We begin to look for things to, to pick at them, to tear them apart, to bring them down, to find fault in them. And uh, out of our own insecurities, we start having that agenda of judging the aspects of other people. This happens at school. A new kid comes in the school, and suddenly everybody wants to hang around them instead of with you. And, uh, you know, when that happens, out of our, uh, our natural inclination from our sinful nature is to find some way to tear that new person down and, you know, put them in their place, so to speak. Uh, this is part of our human condition. The gospel points out that we are broken people in need of redemption. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the famous British preachers of the 20th century, on this passage, he, he writes these words. He says, what is the danger of which our Lord is warning us? We can say, first of all, that it's a kind of spirit, a spirit that manifests itself in certain ways. What is the spirit that condemns? It is a self-righteous spirit. Self is always the back of it. And it is always a manifestation of self-righteousness, a feeling of superiority and a feeling that we are right and others are wrong. And I would only add to that that it's often the times that feeling of uh, being inferior or insecure that leads us to criticize and to put others down and judge them. He goes on to say, it seems to be further that a very vital part of the spirit is a tendency to be hypercritical. He is a man who approaches anything which he is asked to criticize, expecting to find fault, indeed, almost hoping to find it. <laughs> How true that is. There's a certain uh, pleasure, a joy that we experience when we're find something we hear or discover something that's wrong or <clears throat> a fault of somebody else, particularly if we're trying to you know, bring them down in some way. He goes on to say, some spend a great deal of their time expressing their opinions about people who they really have no direct dealings with. They are nothing to us, but we experience a malicious pleasure 
and expressing our opinions about them. Uh, you know, you, you've experienced this. You get in a group that's having a conversation and suddenly the name of somebody comes up in their conversation that you hardly know. Uh, you don't know that person well enough to know what their motives are or what's behind what they did, and yet you enter into that conversation about them. And there's sort of a sick, twisted pleasure <laughs> that we get from that. John R.W. Scott wrote these words, or Stott, he wrote these words. He said, the uh, censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. All of us have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. There's a lot of truth in that statement. So as we look at this passage about judging others, Jesus gives us three reasons why we should avoid judging others in this way. He says, first of all, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Wow. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is saying here that, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, go to heaven, uh, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to look at us and he's going to say, uh, how did you judge others? Because that's the way I'm the measure I'm going to use to judge you. Well, that makes me kind of quake in my boots. <laughs> I have that feeling, understanding about things. Um, that's a very frightening thought, isn't it? But that's what we're going to be judged by the way we treat others. That's what he says here. For no other reason uh, than this, we should stop judging other people because we don't want to experience that kind of judgment, right? Um, the second thing Jesus talks about is our motives. He, not only should we avoid judging others because that's the same measure we're going to be judged by, he has, why? Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Again, he's addressing the motives of our hearts here. Why do you feel the need to judge other people? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd all have to acknowledge that our motives are not always 100% pure when we get in the business of judging other people, are they? They're a mixture of good and evil. And on a good day, my motives may be 90% godly. <laughs> but more often, it's like that 50-50, maybe even 70-30. Uh, this is something I think we all struggle with. So we need to realize that our, our motives are not always holy and pure when it comes to judging other people. Finally, Jesus says, <clears throat> how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while there's a log in your own eye? Uh, in other words, <clears throat> we need to recognize that our spiritual eyesight <laughs> Is impaired. We don't. We have that. We don't have that clarity of vision here. Uh, I love how Jesus gives this word picture to us. He talks about, so you've got this log jutting out of your eye, and yet all you're concerned about is that speck of sawdust over your neighbor's eye. Yet this is how we are, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is saying uh, that it's, there's not enough time in life for you to deal with your own stuff, much less deal with the faults of everybody else. So Jesus says. First, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own stuff, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Now, sometimes there is a speck in our neighbor's eye, and maybe they need some help in getting that out, at least to be aware of it or something. But here's the thing. 
it's always best to wait until that neighbor invites you to do that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's uh, invitation. It's best by dumb invitation. And when you do that, then you also need to be very careful. And you did do it with great love and humility. All right. You know, as we heard these passages, and these teachings from Jesus over the last several weeks with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've been getting out of all, anything out of this. I mean, these are things that Jesus tried to address that we're all struggling with to be his followers. You know, we struggle with these things on a daily basis. But when I look at these passages each week and try to prepare these messages, I often find myself going, like, wow, <laughs> well, I really needed to hear that. <laughs> that was a word I, I needed to hear. And I, I, I'm thinking maybe I'm not the only one here who needs to hear these words, and these teachings of Jesus. Maybe there's some of you here today who are struggling with judging others. And you're feeling pretty good about how you pointed out the faults in somebody else's life. Uh, maybe some of us here have a log in our own eye. And uh, we really have no business dealing with the specks in other people's eyes until we deal with the log in our own eye. And yet, that's what we're doing. When it comes to living as Jesus calls us to live, it's not easy. It's hard enough to just address our own stuff. And we need to recognize that we all fall short of God's glory every day. We all stand in great need of God's grace every day. And recognizing that about ourselves can help us not to be so focused on the faults of others and to be more careful with our words. Our lips, they have the power to heal and to build up or to tear down. They have the power to bring glory to God or they have the power to try to bring glory to ourselves. I think that's what Jesus is trying to address when he gives us his teaching today. And with that in mind, let's pray together. God, we, we confess in this place today that we are broken and these words of Jesus spear us in our hearts. For we recognize that there have been times when we have been dishonest. Times when we've made promises that we never intended to fulfill. We've said things that are untrue. Forgive us, O oh God. Help us to be people of our word. Help us to be people of integrity who tell the truth. And Lord, we confess to you today that we have logs in our own eyes, yet we take such joy pointing out the specks in others. Save us, O oh God, from that critical and judgmental spirit. Save us from self-righteousness. Help us to speak words that are not judgmental or critical, but rather words that build each other up. God, help us to be more like you. For we know that this is your will. So we pray that it may be so, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.